going through the Lord's Prayer uh, at, a, at a pretty methodical, slow clip just to look at things in a little deeper way. And so we're, we're going to continue on that study, and we're on verse 4 of Luke chapter 11. And so typically we cover larger chunks of the Bible uh, as we're, we're doing this week to week. Um, but this topic of prayer is so important to the Christian life that we've taken a few weeks to look at it, and we're going to take a few more weeks uh, going forward. Now, some of you may be asking why, 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 are we, why are we doing this? And part of the reason is because I don't see anything that's more crucial in terms of our relationship with God than our prayers. That, you know, if, if we were to ask ourselves, is there anything more critical to our personal relationship with our Heavenly Father than prayer? And possibly you'd have some answers to that, but, but I have a very difficult time identifying any other type of expression that would help me feel, know, recognize that God indeed has a personal relationship with me. So before we get any further, let's pray. God, I pray your blessing on us and ask for your Holy Spirit, Lord, to, to touch us in our mind and our hearts, for your word to touch us in a place where we need to hear you. Um, and this topic of forgiveness that we're going to be sharing about this morning, Lord, it, it's such a large topic, and so is prayer. And so we need you to make it rich to us and make it dynamic. In Jesus' name, amen. So prayer blesses us with this dynamic expression that opens up all these pathways for you and and, and for me to experience and recognize God as our Heavenly Father. Now why do you think prayer is so difficult for us to consistently practice? Why is that? Because haven't you noticed that? I find myself often when I'm praying and um, a minute later I'm thinking about like the next car I want to own. Like, oh, well, where did that come from? And, and I'm, just, I'm just thinking random things. And part of the reason, I think, is that Satan knows the power of prayer. That the enemy knows the power of prayer. And when we're fighting in the spiritual realm, that's how we do it. We do it in prayer. And for, for those of us who know God as our Heavenly Father, if there was a singular strategic point of attack for Satan to launch an assault on, where would you think that would be? It would be in prayer. It would be in our prayer life. Distracting us from prayer. Praying about things outside of God's will. Maybe not even praying at all. Praying in a way that, that's religious, but it lacks God's heart. And praying just to go through these motions of prayer, but it lacks power, it lacks meaning, it lacks purpose. Whatever it is that pulls us away from fully engaging in a prayer life to God, He's willing to do. So how many times have we prayed and it means very little or nothing? And I'm guilty of this too. I'm not just saying like it's you. Because it happens to me, um, say, mealtimes. You know, we just, thank you God for our food, let's eat. Right? And where it's just kind of like a purposeless thing almost, like a meaningless thing. Or how about bedtime? You know, I have kids and I'm putting them to bed. Actually, what they've done is they've helped me ground my prayers during that time as opposed to like me just praying myself, oh Lord, thank you for a day and blah, 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 and I'm going to bed. Now it's actually more thoughtful because my kids actually bring it out of me and they're like, okay, what do you guys want to pray for? Grandpa! 
and because he has cancer and he's going through chemo and he's going through all this stuff and, and they bring it out of me that they're doing that. So actually they're helping me. But oftentimes, bedtime, you know, we just like, all right, go, Lord, thank you for that wonderful day. Help me with the things tomorrow. Good night. And so, so all these type of things that where, where our prayers have just kind of been mechanical and little purpose, little meaning, we're just kind of going through the motions. So we pause this morning at the Lord's Prayer to reflect on a deeper level how significant prayer is to our spiritual life. And to reflect upon whether we have exercised with diligence the practice of prayer, to think about how sustainable and consistent we have been in our prayers, because how many of us find ourselves in prayers when, when things are going well or, or not so well, but when things are going well in your life, your, your prayer life is kind of stagnant. It's kind of lower. But when something is going on in your life, you're there. You're fully present. You, you want God to engage in your life. But, you know, you got the job, you got the car, everything's going well, your stocks are doing well, and all this other stuff. Your house is appreciating, and, and your, your, your health, your family, everything's doing well. We, we find ourselves kind of get, we get kind of lazy, and we kind of lose that discipline. And so, how disciplined are we in our prayer life, even when times are going well? And, and how are our prayers structured? Are we always talking about me? Am I always talking about my family and it's all about us? Or is it spirit-filled? Is it biblical? Is it, is it kind of flowing out of you to where it's more than just you and the things around you? And so a disciple asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And here we further uh, define through the Lord's Prayer what a disciple is. A disciple of Jesus is someone who trusts God to be their father. A disciple looks to his heavenly father, her heavenly father, with reverence and recognizes that God is worthy to be worshipped, right? Hallowed be your name. And then a disciple is subject to God's rule, right? Your kingdom come. Kind of assumes that you're subject to his kingdom. And we trust and we, and that God is going to provide for us and we trust for his provision. We recognize our reliance upon him. Give us each day our daily bread. And so here we are to take a closer look at the first part of verse 4. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And as followers of Jesus, we, we are sinners. We are sinners who have been forgiven. And those outside of Jesus, they are sinners as well, but they have not yet received the forgiveness of their sins. What disciples of Jesus and those who aren't disciples of Jesus, what we all have in common is that sin has made us all indebted to God. That's what sin has done. And we are unable to clear that debt. And the only way to erase that debt is through a creditor. right? A creditor who is able to forgive that debt. God, he's able to forgive that debt. But it's only through an acceptable payment, which is Jesus. And so the currency for the debt of sin is Jesus. That's, that's the only currency that is acceptable. There is no other currency that is going to work. The only currency for sin to a holy God is a holy payment. And that's only Jesus. There, there, there is no raising of the debt ceiling on this. Right? There, it, doesn't, it doesn't work here. And so we're, we're all indebted to sin. We're, we're all in debt to God. All of us need our sins forgiven. Nothing clears the debt. No one can forgive that debt except through Jesus Christ. 
Now, how many of us here are sinless? Anybody? Awesome. You're God. Like, talk, there's God right there. We're all sinners, except for one. And, but we all need forgiveness. And, and I only know of one who is sinless, and it's Jesus. Right? For, forgiveness is an amazing thing. And you think about what forgiveness does, how it transforms people, how it, how it changes hearts of hatred, how it changes attitudes of anger, how it changes feelings of bitterness and thoughts of resentment and spirits of judgment and condemnation. And it changes all that stuff into acceptance and love and peace and joy and kindness and God, whom we have greatly offended through our sin, He's forgiven us. He's cleared our debt through Jesus. How much more are we called to forgive those who have wronged us to the extent that that doesn't even come close to the debt that we owe God? And so there was no way for us to clear that debt to God on our own. There's no way for that. And He provides a way for that. And, and what an opportunity we have to be like our Heavenly Father in extending that forgiveness to those who are indebted to us. Indebted, some of us, some of them have hurt us quite a bit. And so how peaceful is forgiveness? How healing is forgiveness? And for those of you in a lot of debt, just to give you a better sense of maybe what this is, let's, let's just take credit card debt, for example. Maybe some of you have so much credit card debt, you're just swallowed up in credit card debt. Maybe some of you in student loan debt. Maybe some of you in mortgage debt. How would you feel if someone just kind of came by and said, it, it's all gone? All, all your credit card debt, that's gone. All your student loan debt, gone. Everything gone. Your, your mortgage that you paid, that you lost a lot of equity in your house, that, that's all gone. You're, you're, you're made whole. And so some of you are even looking to college and you're just looking at this enormous kind of tuition going to come your way. The public schools just increased by 9%, I think it is, all the California state schools, by 9%. All wiped away. How would that make you feel? To, to, to have that all gone. So every wrong that you've committed in your life, cleared. How does that feel? This is more than money. Cleared. And so you imagine the peace and you imagine the healing and the love by extending forgiveness. Instead of a spirit of jealousy, there's a spirit of kindness. Instead of this malicious heart, there's this compassionate heart. And it's stemming out of forgiveness. Now Paul instructs us in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 through 32. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Who, who have you not forgiven, yet God has forgiven you? And it's, it's just an impossibility to worship God fully, to live in peace extensively if you are harboring bitterness and resentment and anger and clamor and slander and malice within you. That's impossible. And I believe that some of you may have problems in your homes because forgiveness has not taken place. I believe that some of you may have problems within the church because forgiveness has not taken place within your workplaces, within our city, a lot of it's stemming out of the lack of forgiveness that we have for one another. 
So how real is this prayer for you? How real is this verse for you? Father, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians, but how many of them genuinely pray this and know this, recognizing our sin before God? Because I think if we truly understood the magnitude of our sins that God has forgiven us, and we sincerely prayed this after truly understanding the extent of what God has forgiven us of, we'd be living in a better place to extend forgiveness ourselves. We'd be able to do that better. But so much damage has been done to us within our families, within our churches, within our communities, within our city, within our lives. So much damage has been done that without forgiveness, there is no healing that's going to take place within you. And and when forgiveness doesn't take place, it it robs us of the beauties of life, the, the realities of God's love, God's peace. All that stuff can't be fully experienced without forgiveness. And instead of those things, there are these other feelings that come up to us. There's these feelings of judgment and guilt and shame and condemnation. And no matter how hard you try to escape those things, you can't. So you go and you absorb yourself into your work or into your hobbies. Or, or you run away and you, and you go do stuff. Or you, you get really good at your job and you just get absorbed in your job and you make a lot of money and you start buying things. But all that stuff... It doesn't satiate what forgiveness can do. It'll just continue to haunt you. It'll just continue to follow you. And no matter what you're doing, that if you don't get into grips with that, it will follow you. And if you want to truly be set free from the things that occupy your mind in unhealthy ways, forgiveness needs to take place. And for those of you who have been wronged by, by your parents and you know there's nothing your parents can do in terms of giving you something to make those wrong things right, right? They, they, they can't buy you a car. They can't pay your college tuition. You know, they can try to give you money, they, all those things. All those things that they try to do to make things right, they don't work, do they? Having them try to buy your love or trying that, that stuff doesn't work. But it, it, it's something for free that may work is that if they came to you and just said sorry, right, and they apologize for what they did, and it's free, and it took like two seconds, but yet they go through all these other things to try to buy or redeem why they treated you wrong. And so you see how difficult forgiveness is, that, that people would rather do all these other things than just simply say sorry in like one second? That they'd rather do all these other things. You see how difficult it is to apologize to someone? And it's also not easy to accept forgiveness either, is it? Because when they say sorry, you're like, oh, it's hard to hate you now. Like, I want to hate you. And then you, you said sorry to me. But see, what, what happens if that, that's not extended to you for whatever reason? Because oftentimes parents don't do that. I remember a time I was arguing with my mom, and um, I, I, I was saying, Mom, I, you need to say sorry to me because you've wronged me. And if you don't, I'm hanging up this phone and don't ever call me again. And I, I, I was fed up. I had it. Like, I've, I've put up with these 20-some-odd years of abuse back then of, of, oh, I'm never wrong. I'm your mother. Everything I say is right. I'm never wrong. 
And I don't know. I, I see like a lot of Asian kids smiling. Like, is this just is this just our culture then? No, it's not. Okay. Whew. I thought I thought just a continent had issues, but it's it's more than that. Okay. So so like this is my mom. Like, oh, I'm never wrong. I'm your mother. I'm like, okay, God, now that we have that cleared up. But, but so that's, that's what it was. But it was so hard for her. And she was like, well, fine, sorry then. <laughs> right? And, and it, it didn't mean anything, but for me it felt like so good even though she didn't mean it. I was like, she said it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Like she said it. But, but doesn't it just eat at you? And then, and, and, and so you're like, just say sorry to me. You're wrong. You've wronged me. But then sometimes we don't get that, right? And, and, sometimes, and this is kind of what causes problems sometimes. This is sometimes what causes people to medicate themselves or develop coping mechanisms, whether they're escaping and running away and avoiding conflict or, or they're just codependent and they're just like, oh, nothing can satiate my need for like, love me, love me, just love me. And, and so it's, it's, it's all these unhealthy ways that all this stuff manifests, right? Without forgiveness. And so... You may heal, but you might not heal well. Because time does heal some wounds, right? And, and if you never receive that kind of forgiveness or anything, it's not to say that you won't heal. I just don't think you're going to heal completely. Right? You're, you're going to be able to cope with things better. You're going to be able to medicate things a little bit better with, with whatever you do. With different addictions, maybe. maybe. Maybe it drives you to being promiscuous. Maybe it drives you to being an alcoholic or, or some other type of addict. But you see, a lot of people think that forgiveness is just kind of like getting rid of it. That, that you don't deal with it anymore, that you just forget about it or whatever. In a sense, yes, but those are two distinct words, forgiveness and forgetting. Those are two distinct words, right? But, but if you are bringing hurt from your past into your present, it's not past. What somebody did to you in the past, how somebody offended you in the past and all that stuff. If you are bringing that into your present and into your future, that's not past. That's not something that you just say, oh, that happened in the past, whatever. And a good way to gauge whether it's something that is following you, can you talk about it? If you can't talk about it, it's following you. Right? Because you you can't let it in, but it's in you. It's in the core of you. And the only way to heal healthy, in a healthy way, is to forgive. You forgive. So even if you don't receive that apology, it's important to extend forgiveness. And what does that mean? It means that I am looking to reconcile. I am looking towards love. I'm not looking towards hatred. I'm not looking towards revenge. I'm not looking towards malice, slander. That's what forgiveness is. Why is that? Well, for one reason, you're giving them free rent in your head. It's for free. They're occupying your head. They're occupying your heart for free. Sometimes people don't even know that they're occupying your mind and your heart for free. Right? They, they don't even know that it's that big of a deal that they offended you. Why are you giving them free rent in your head and in your heart? Why would you do that? And so some of us feel ourse- fool ourselves into thinking, oh, you know what, I've moved on. I've moved on. You know, I, I, just, I just... But you're not set free. And to be set free, you need to forgive. 
to, to look towards to look towards that reconciliation, that restoration. Now, reconciliation and restoration, those take two parties, right? So if that other party is not willing to, then you can't reconcile. It takes two. So you are not responsible for that, but you are responsible to forgive, to extend that. Right? And, and if it's not reciprocated, well, it's not reciprocated, but you've done your part. Right? You've, you've extended the forgiveness. You have the attitude and the heart and the mind of forgiveness, of reconciliation. If it doesn't return back to you, you've done what you've done. And it seems that in forgiveness of our sins from God, it's presumed that we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So in Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer, it says, Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And so that father and that mother, that brother, that sister, that friend, that pastor, everyone. right? So, so let's take a look at a picture of forgiveness in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17 through 20. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So this guy, his friends, all the people around him, everyone was looking to Jesus to physically heal this paralyzed guy. But what happened? It's in verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Isn't that fascinating? He didn't like instantly address his paralysis. He addressed his sin. And as a reader of this, you would think that this guy was going to be physically healed by Jesus. You would think that Jesus would say, like, all right, you're, you're healed. Walk. But instead, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. This is because this is the supreme issue of our lives. The paramount issue is not physical healing. The paramount issue is the forgiveness of sins. Jesus asked this question in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So it's not that physical healing is insignificant. It is. We're, we're to pray for those things. It's important to God. Right? And God cures people. Back, back when He sent out the 72 in Luke chapter 10, He sent them out and they were curing people. They were healing people. It's an important thing. It's, let's not like shove that to the side and say, like, oh, it's all about spiritual stuff. God is concerned with the whole of us. Right? So emotionally, physically, spiritually. But the supreme issue addressed by Jesus here is the forgiveness of sins. And so you look at Luke chapter 4, and Jesus has these incredible ministry results, right? He, he could have planted a megachurch. Right? He, he has all these good results. People are wanting him to stay, and, but he realizes that's not his purpose. Luke chapter 4, verses 42 through 43. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. He was doing some awesome stuff. He was curing people. He was delivering people. He was doing great stuff. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. What's in the good news of the kingdom of God? It's the forgiveness of sins. 
So are your sins forgiven of you? And I'm not talking about religious stuff, religion. You know, I'm not talking about rituals or sacraments that you went through as a baby. I'm talking about a dynamic living God that is able to forgive your sins right now because He is alive and He can deliver you from your sins. Do you have that relationship with our living God? And so how do you go about this? Peter addresses this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He said, Repent, turn away, turn the other way, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you have received the forgiveness of sins from God, have you forgiven those who have sinned against you? Because how can we tell people of a forgiving, forgiving God if we as his followers have not forgiven those who have wronged us? You can't share that good news, could you? It's like sharing about like a good restaurant. Oh yeah, their, their food is great. It tastes awesome. And, and oh, have you tried it? No, I just kind of heard about it. No, like that, that doesn't work. You, you have to do it. You have to experience it yourself. Right? Oh, that ride. That ride's awesome. It's just so exhilarating. And have you been on it? No, it just looks like it. It doesn't work that way. Right? You, you have to practice it. So if you are a Christian and you have not extended forgiveness, you kind of wonder are you really a Christian? And if you believe in evangelism and the Great Commission and missions and spreading out the, the good news, if you're a disciple of Jesus, of course you believe in all those things. But if you haven't practiced those things, then how can you really believe it and say it and really think that that's true? So are the works that we are doing, are those temporary things? Because a lot of us do some pretty good stuff on, in a social basis, right? We do a lot of social good. But is that stuff just temporary because you don't have the everlasting fruit of exercising forgiveness, of sharing the good news, of the forgiveness of sins? The good works you are doing are simply temporary if we don't take it to the next step. right? Sharing Jesus, sharing about the forgiveness of sins, sharing those things. It's, it's, as followers of Jesus, we are looking at the everlasting, not just the temporary. Right, so we so we have uh, an awesome community garden, and we have uh, awesome homeless outreach, and we have an awesome martial arts outreach, and we have all these different things, and we tutor, and we work with refugees, and and there's all this stuff that we do. If it's just that stuff without Jesus, isn't that temporary? Isn't it just for that time, and then it's fleeting? There has to be a time where we are focused on the everlasting, which I think is all the time. That Jesus is about the everlasting, about the forgiveness of sins, and for us to exercise the forgiveness of sins. Not just doing good things. Although it's part of it, I I think we're to do good things. But let's not just stop there. Peter said in said this in Acts chapter 10, verses 42 through 43. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So all the prophets of the Old Testament were pointing to Jesus, knowing that he was going to be 
the way for the forgiveness of sins. And if you look at King David, he points to this as well. Back in Psalm chapter 103, David wrote this in in verses 2 and 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. All his benefits. He has a ton, right? And then you go into verse 3. What is at the top of that benefits list? Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity. That's the top of the list. And in Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, the psalmist asked, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So forgiveness, so that, so that we may have a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father. We can't have a relationship with God without it. And, and that's, that's essentially what hell is. Without God. That's essentially what hell is. You don't have a relationship with God. And that's what sin does. It breaks that. It it separates that. Sin separates us from God. And sin is such a great debt debt that the wages of it are death. And so only Jesus can clear that debt. And this is the good news. This is good news. That God the Father wants a personal relationship with you. But in order to have one, there has to be this clearance of debt that is so large that no one can pay for it except for God. And that sin against a holy God is not simply excused or overlooked or or swept under the rug. That is an impossibility because of God's character of judgment. That He's just. God is a just God. God is a God of truth. And yes, He's also a God of love and He's also a God of grace. And that's why He sends His only begotten Son, Jesus, to redeem us of our sins. But he's also a God that is just and of truth. So God chose to forgive us as his children. And we have a choice to forgive as well, to extend forgiveness as well. And it's not that we excuse the wrongs committed to us. They are wrong. We can call them as wrong. And it's not, it doesn't mean that we overlook what, what abuses have been happening to us. It's not that we sweep the sins that have been directed to us under the rug. That's not what forgiveness is. It, it, it's dealing with it honestly. Just like how God dealt with sin honestly, head on. He deals with it with Jesus as a propitiation of our sins. Now that's kind of a big word. But that there's this propitiatory sacrifice which is in line with his character of justice. So that all that we are guilty of is wiped clean and that we're pronounced not guilty. Now, this propitiation, let's just use a couple verses to back this up. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So Jesus, our Savior, who took our place, He, he paid our price, He paid our debt, so that we may have forgiveness of sins. The propitiation of, for our sins. That's what propitiation is. He's, he's, he's taken that. And this is difficult for people to accept in our post-Christian, post-modern world, isn't it? Because they look at it as, oh, that's so archaic. That's, that's barbaric. How, how can you say like this guy atones for our sins? Like, what, that's, that's bloody. 
But I find it fascinating that these same people accept that there is a God or a higher power or whatever, but they want to define how God works rather than how He's defined how He works. Through His Bible, through His Word, defining for us how God works. Yet we want to kind of figure things out on our own and define, oh, this is how you work, God. God has revealed Himself to us through His Word and From the Bible, we know that God is holy. We know that God is a God who judges, and and He judges sin, and the wages of sin is death. We know that about God. And all of us will face judgment. All of us will be before Jesus. The question is whether Jesus is the propitiation for your sins. The Bible says He is for the whole world. Is He the propitiation for the sins... For you, though, in that have you received him by faith? Because 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says that he is for the whole world. And Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Paul also wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. It's only Jesus. And so this is one of those places as well that people are trying to define how God works and define how, how God looks at things and saying, like, oh, all these different ways, it leads to the same place. The Bible does not say that. God does not say that to us. There is only one mediator. Only Jesus is the propitiation of our sins. The world is saying these other things. That's not the word of God. God's justice can only be fulfilled by his son, Jesus, who became sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And for that picture of forgiveness, you can look to Leviticus chapter 16. We won't read the whole thing or or look at that. But this is kind of the story of the scapegoat, right? Where where the the priest would, would kind of bring all the sins of the Jews come in and he would place it on this goat. And this goat would go away and then it would and it would be kind of symbolic as to like this is God clearing that sin away. It, it's done. And that's a picture of what we have in Jesus as a sacrificial lamb that we are putting all of our sins on the sacrificial lamb and he is going to go into the grave. And thank God he's resurrected, but that's that's kind of the, the picture there. And he took it all, he took all that sin upon himself and, and sent he was sent away from God the Father. He was sent away, right? And as Jesus took that sin, God the Father, a holy God, turned away from His Son, and that was the only time Jesus was apart from His Father. For all of eternity, God the Father and Jesus His Son have been together. All of eternity, except here, when He took that sin from us. When He took that upon Himself. And so He cries out in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? It was only in that moment that God the Father has turned away when in all of eternity they've had a relationship with one another. 
And it's for you and it's for me that, that he would do that. Do you remember that him, Jesus, paid it all? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Right? And, and, and as Jesus was hanging on that cross, what did he say to God the Father? What did he say? Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So extending that forgiveness, and in the midst of all that emotional, mental, physical, spiritual anguish Jesus was experiencing on the cross, He died for our forgiveness. Forgiveness, extending that, that in Him being forsaken by God the Father, whom He had a relationship for all eternity, we're forgiven from that. So the question is, are you forgiven of your sins? And it's not about church attendance and coming here, and it's not about doing good stuff here or outside of here that you're a good person. It's not just about that. Actually, that's secondary. That's a fruit of you having your sins forgiven. Are your, are your sins forgiven? Do you have a relationship with God? And here's your invitation if you don't. That He wants that. He wants that for you. He wants to forgive you of your sins. So don't walk out of here without God's forgiveness. He has offered it to you. It's offered to you. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All of that wiped away if you would accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And once God forgives you of your sins, you are forgiven. You don't have to work it off. Right? There's, there's, you don't have to do that sort of stuff. Right? He's not like some people in your life who, who they kind of like, well, you're going you're gonna to have to prove it to me. Right? You're, you're, I forgive you, but you're going to have to you prove it to me. And it's not to say that you don't have consequences to deal with, right? It's not to say that you, are, you shed the responsibility of the, the damage that you've done. So that if you've stolen something, probably a manifestation of forgiveness and accepting that forgiveness is that you want to make things right. It's not to say like, oh, forget it. So, oh, God forgive me. Oh, yeah, He did. And I'm just going to go about doing what I used to do, whatever. No, there... If that forgiveness is real, you would naturally want to do something about that. Right? So that, that you have consequences for sins in your life, whatever that may be. And you have to kind of deal with those things. It's not like they disappear. You're responsible on the, how to restore those that you've affected, right? The people, the communities, the society. But God does not keep a record of your wrongs once He's forgiven you. Right? He, he doesn't have like his, his Rolodex there. It's just like, da, 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 da. back in 1989, you did this. You know, if you're forgiven, you're forgiven. And you take a look at Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. And we'll, we'll end with this. I'm not going to go into a ton of detail here either because hopefully we'll get to this, you know, next year. But you, you read Luke chapter 15. You read Luke 15, and, and you'll notice that the father never brings up the prodigal son's past into the present. He doesn't pull that in. Right? And for those of you who are parents, how would you have handled this, really? 
put yourself in that father's shoes for a moment. And, and you, have a, you have a kid who has taken a good chunk of your resources. Right? He's, he's taken a good chunk of your resources. And then he uses all that stuff to foul up his life big time. He just squanders it all away. Everything that he took for you from you. And they come back in repentance. They come back because they realize how foolish they've been. Now, how would you go about reconnecting with that child? They took half of everything you ever had. They've spent it all. There's no way to get it back. And now they're coming back. And they're asking you to connect with you. Do you think you would be like the father in Luke chapter 15? I personally don't think I would. Just being honest. I don't think I could do that. Because for me, like when they came in, I... Maybe, maybe I'd be happy and hug them and, you know, give them whatever I had. But, but I think soon after that, I'd be like, you know, honey, I need to know some things. What did you do? Like, what did you do with all that? And I would probably want to have, like, a lot of conversations about the pain that was caused me and the pain that was brought to the family. and I'd probably want to talk about a lot of this stuff. And then I would probably want to talk about like, okay, now that you've squandered all my stuff away, I want some of it back. So go work and pay me. Right? Because your mom and I, we're counting on some of this stuff. And so like, you know, we, we need to get something back. So, so this is kind of like how I think I would be. And so, and I would probably lecture a lot. Right? I'd probably like have a list of consequences. Like, okay, so, so you can't go out after 9 o'clock now. Because I, you know, and, and you're going to have to wake up early and go to work. Or you're going to have to go to school. Or you're going to have to get a job. And you're going to have to do this and do that. And you're all this. I would probably have a list of stuff. But that's not what happened between the prodigal son and his father in Luke chapter 15. There's nothing written about the father reprimanding that prodigal. There's nothing mentioned about seeking family therapy. There's, and I'm not saying that those things are not important. Because I believe that they are. And I believe having the conversations and talking about the pain and all that. I think that all those things are important. And just because they're not in Luke chapter 15 doesn't mean that they don't happen. Right? It doesn't say like, don't go to family therapy or don't go. It's not saying that. Right? So let's, let's, let's not be cuckoo about that kind of stuff. But I think there's something so fundamental in the restoration and the healing process that needs to be established before anything is done, like conversations and seeking family therapy and all that kind of other stuff. That's good. And that is an extension of love, an extension of peace, an extension of forgiveness and compassion and grace, and a realization that the people that you are dealing with, that there is no judgment or condemnation there. That that's fundamental. If that son didn't realize that his father was that way, he probably couldn't return. Right? He'd be like, ah, oh, my dad's a jerk. He just, I'll be back there. he just judge me and condemn me. And, you know, he's not going to forgive me, whatever. I might as well just sleep in this pig slop and eat this stuff. I mean, at least I'll be alive. That 
This father showed his son no judgment or condemnation. And I think that is baseline. Right? Before you, before you go into counseling sessions and therapy and all these other things that, that are healthy things to do in, in most cases, in a lot of cases, that there needs to be a baseline that there is no judgment or condemnation for that person you're trying to reconcile with. That, that you would not leave or forsake that person. The son knew that the father would never leave him or forsake him, that he would be able to come back, right? And, and it was the child that left him, but the father was ready to always receive him back. Right? That extension of forgiveness is kind of always there. And I think that many of the marital problems that exist are because judgment and condemnation, those things are rampant in the marriage. And forgiveness is just kind of happening on a surface level. In that words are exchanged, right? And and sometimes there's a, a that's a good place to start, that you know it cracks the door open. But where forgiveness may just be a word, it's it's not shown in the actions that follow, though, and that is hurtful, and that helps to brew this thing of mistrust, and that your yes is not yes, and your no is not no, and you, the sorry is just like a flippant thing, and like it doesn't even mean anything. And you notice that this father is more than words. This father brought over the best robe, a ring, shoes, and a fatted calf to party. It's more than words. And this is what God has in store for you in that it's more than God just saying you are forgiven. God sent His only begotten Son to die on that cross for you. He did something. He did something. He's not just flippantly saying you're forgiven. He did something to show you that that's true, that that's evident, and he'll do that. And it's not to say that your life is just going to be full of bling and partying from now on, right? Like, oh, party, yay. Like, it's, it's not that way. It's not like, oh, life is hunky-dory from now on out because my sins are forgiven. It, it's not like that because I think... The stuff that that boy did, that prodigal son did to however he squandered that money, he still hurt people there. There are still consequences there. There might still be people coming over and saying like, do you know what your son did to my daughter? Do you know what your son did to my kid? Do you know your son ruined my business? Do you know he stole from me? Do you know he... All this stuff where the father is going to have to step in and saying like, I realize that and... No condemnation, no judgment. I will not leave him or forsake him. And I'm going to try to do some stuff right. And God does that for us in that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to die for you. That whatever else kind of comes up later, he says, like, yeah, I'm going to take care of that. It's taken care of. So it's to say that as a child, yeah, not everything's going to be great in your life per se. Maybe it will. But it's to say that you are a prince or you are a princess of the king. That you have a place in the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. We pray, Lord, that for any of us who are having a difficulty extending that forgiveness that you would empower us to do that. And Lord, realizing that some of us have been hurt so deeply, 
that to just say that we extend forgiveness is a lie. And we realize that, God, and we realize that there is time that needs to happen and go by for us to kind of start getting to that place where we can extend that forgiveness. And, and Lord, I, I pray that you would work in people's hearts and minds who have been wounded so deeply that forgiveness is such a hard thing for them to extend. That you would begin that healing process in them so that they can extend that forgiveness and they would be healed in a very healthy way. And Lord, I pray that you would equip our church to minister to those who are hurting so bad that it's difficult to, for them to extend forgiveness as well as forgive it for, or forgive themselves and receive it for themselves. That you would equip us to be great listeners of compassion and of empathy and of, of uh, people who aren't going to judge and condemn those issues that come before us. In Jesus' name, amen.